Greetings, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Turning a Moment into a Movement. We started off a little different today. Hope you guys was able to view the entire um, new intro. However, welcome. My name is Jay Love, and I represent the Justice for Gerard movement. And because of Gerard, um, who is uh, my son, who was wrongfully convicted of a crime he didn't do, it's the reason why we come here every day, um, well, not every day, but every Friday at 6 p.m. to talk about um, wrongful convictions um, and how they happen and why they happen and things that also can lead to a wrong, uh, wrongful convictions, um, causes and patterns. So um, we come here to um, educate and to motivate. Um, and so thank you for joining us. Um, today we have a great topic. It's um, understanding generational trauma and its relationship to the criminal legal system. And I think this was, might be a two or a three-part series. So we're going to get started. I'm going to bring on the panel today. And we have a special guest that, um, <laughs> that um, I didn't tell you guys about that's going to join us that kind of inspired well, he did inspire the topic. So we're going to get into that. But first, let's bring on the panel. Um, greetings, Reverend Tia. Well, greetings. How are you today? I'm so excited about being here, being live tonight well, <laughs> on so um, a very important topic um, that is uh, dear to my heart, and that is understanding uh, generational trauma, which the more we understand, the more we will recognize the importance of <laughs> the importance of keeping historical events alive. Mm -hmm. At least so you know. But if we hide from it or try to push it under the rug. It, it, there are no answers, there's no solutions, there are no healings for, for that type of um, behavior. And this is why we, we are here now in this place. So Jay, thank you so much, you know, um, as founder of the Choice Zone and really trying to help people take the initiative of choosing what they really want, recognizing their own power and gifts from within. This is really a topic that is dear to my heart. And um, we're still out here, whether it's uh, with the Michigan Coalition of Human Rights or uh, definitely with uh, G100, Oneness and Wisdom Women. Um, we're we're going to be talking about human trafficking soon um, around Michigan and, um, and women's empowerment. Um, so I'll be hollering at everybody about that. Right. <laughs> you know. And so, yeah, let's let's get it going. Let's let's stop this madness because we aren't crazy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I wanted to tell people. You're not crazy. Mm -hmm. well, is, you can't hear what you don't reveal. Exactly. Exactly. If we don't that's talk right. about it, if we don't bring it up, if we don't have these conversations, how can we move forward? So we can't. Right. We can't. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbitia. And if you guys want to contact Rabbitia, there's her um, www.thechoicezone.com. Yes, yes, indeed. Thank you. 
Yes, you are calm. So greetings, Trisha. Good evening, everybody. Uh, happy Friday, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the weekend and um, just feeling blessed. Just feeling blessed. Um, I think about this topic and, and, and it says it's in, in its relationship to the criminal legal system, but actually it's in the relation to everything that we do, right? Yeah. And it's learning how to put a voice to your pain, right? And that's how you turn it into your passion. But before you even get there, you have to see it. Because if you don't see it, you're caught up in that cycle, right, of that trauma. And I think about it, and as, as Reverend Tia said, it's extremely important to us as social workers, right? Um, it was one of the, the dictating or deciding factors whether or not I'm going to go and achieve my um, doctorate degree or whether I'm going to go to law school because both are so very important. Um, but if I choose to, or I'll say if God leads me, to go to do the doctorate um, is going to be on post-traumatic slavery disorder mm. because a lot of things that happen to us and that we continue to suffer through to this day are a direct result of the inequities and, and the things that, and the horrible, horrific things that happen to us um, in our bloodline and how that travels down to communities across this country. So you can't say that it's not a system thing you can't say that because there's ghettos all over America. So I'm just excited to be here and to Jay for this platform um, because, you know, people are getting the education. We're coming together. We're bringing the community together and the community is awakening. And we thank you, Jay, for just being and spearheading and, and being our leader. Thank you, Trisha. Next is our <laughs> attorney, <laughs> attorney Hugo May. Hey. <laughs> oh no feedback <laughs> okay that's right jay love that's right trisha and tia y'all have had your last laugh on me okay <laughs> jay love i wrote you personally and told you that earlier today i saw you <laughs> <laughs> look here y'all gonna find another butt of your jokes I'm, I'm i'm no longer in that position you know i moved on up like the jefferson I can just mirror what my sisters have said, you know, and re referring Reverend Tia, you know, I do so look down on people who shamelessly pander their professions with the uh, contact information. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I I'm not one of the people that draws attention to myself, J-Love. So, <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, so, so you know, far be it from me to, to self-grandize and advertise my, my profession, my office number. So, <laughs> he must not see what's underneath his leg. Right, right. No, no, I know, I know. But, but you know, you know yes. I'm proud. I'm proud to be here. And you know, please don't kick me off, J Love. Please. So I'm proud to be here. I'm proud to be with my sisters. Um, I look forward to this. Uh, topic. I've got a, a meeting. It's uh, a little after seven, so I'm not going to be able to stay the whole time, but I'm, I'm going to put in my input and feed on what uh, Trisha and uh, and Reverend Tia said. But you know what's coming, J-Love. We go through this every week. 
If you find yourself on Trouble Boulevard, push, drag, tow, jump, <laughs> coerce your car to Max Street. Max Street. Park your car, a virtual underground garage called the Freedom Line, 734-239-3118. The Freedom Line, 734-239-3118. The Freedom Line, 734-239-3118. And Jay Love, yes, I did approve this announcement. <laughs> I want to let you know that I love you, and this is fully endorsed by me, Dr. Hugo J. Mack the one true and only king of Russia, Scotland, and Harlem. I love you. <laughs> Ooh, I love you too, attorney back. <laughs> so we're going to bring on our guests. <laughs> Hi, Alicia. Introduce yourself. <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> Great to be here. Um, I'm Alicia Dyer. I'm a, a candidate for sheriff in Washtenaw County. Uh, I was a deputy sheriff for a number of years, and then I went back to school for social work and policy. I'm happy to be here again on this show and um, looking forward to the conversation. I don't even know if you're a guest anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think this is my second or third time. I can't remember. I think this is about your third time or maybe fourth time. So you're not a guest. You're a family. So, but welcome and thank you for joining us. So I got this topic, you guys, I'm just going to get into it. Uh, I was watching Sam on Let It Rip and um, it was the, uh, they were talking about Tyree Nichols and Sam was explaining his viewpoint about um, how this all ties into generational trauma. And when he brought it up, um, the people who were also on the show, they was disputing it. And I found that really, um, I, I was irritated by that because, you know, I think people try to downplay the generational uh, trauma and what it's about. And so with that being said, I sound riddle. Hey, how are you guys doing? Uh, the freedom phone number that was something that was a new one yeah. <laughs> and right now for the record i'm approaching the fowlerville exit i just left uh east lansing not too long ago i'm on uh 96 headed to detroit this is the first time i've tried this only jay love get me to do this but because it is getting dark i turned on the interior lights i don't know if that helps i don't know what the sound quality is like but one thing about it, I've never done a show like this from Fowlerville. Oh. In, Li in Livingston Dam County. Woo! Right. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm going the speed limit. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I'm a little over. I'm driving with the flow of traffic. But, Jay Love, you mentioned, you know, I helped really get Let It Rip off the ground with Ewell Perkins many years ago on Fox 2 in Detroit. And uh, Root Rides is just getting started. And I kind of gave him a media talk by saying, I broke fuel in. It's your turn now, Ruth. And uh, the thing of it is, is that on the subject matter, uh, it's very unusual for the host to call one of the panelists on Let It Rip and ask, uh, where are you going to be coming from tonight? What are you going to discuss? And I got that call, and I had to laugh. I said, you know, the whole essence that I teach a media class at the college sometime over at Wayne County Community. 
County District. And spontaneity is is critical. I mean, if you know everything the guest or the host is going to ask or discuss, it, it, it screws up the spontaneity of the show. But I, I told him where I would be coming from, and I told him I would be discussing the history of policing in America and how it really started, especially in the black community, with slave catching or, or, or slave chasing. And uh, he took it, oh, okay, didn't seem to have a problem with it. He, he wasn't a problem so much with Charlie Langton, who used to ask me to be on Let It Rip. But anyway, uh, I'll let you go on with your series of questions, J-Love. But it was an interesting show. We got tons and tons of uh, calls, tweets, and all that. It's usually whenever I'm on the show, I collect more haters per minute than any other person that's on there, whenever <laughs> I appear on there. But fire away, J-Love. It's just great to be with you. I'm now past the Powderville exit. Uh, just rolling on I-96. Talk right. to us. Okay, Reverend Tia. So we're going to... Um, <clears throat> go ahead. And well, I thought just... you had excerpts from the show you were going to play. Oh, no, I got something else. But I'm going to let Reverend Tia go ahead and okay. get started. Go ahead, Reverend Tia. We're going to talk Okay. Oh, you know what? I love listening to Sam. Oh, my goodness. I, I love it. And, and listen, he is he is the guru of health and fitness, you guys, just by the way he lives his life. I like him walking and talking in the morning. <laughs> so I appreciate you, Sam. I appreciate oh, everybody you. here. Yeah, and I'm, I'm excited to talk about uh, generational trauma because it affects, affects us still today. And with, yeah, what is it, Missouri, one of the states that just, enacted is trying to enact the law and may have already done so that prevents history from being told that is that doesn't look good for for people and if you don't know your history then then you get trapped into following somebody else's history mm-hmm. And really, there's only one history. It's just real history. Whatever happened is history. Yeah. However it happened, it's history. But it's still our, it's everybody's history because it is a representation of all people. Mm-hmm. All people. So, you know, trying to change history disguise it and get rid of it is not good for people for people who have history we all have history so what part do we want to hold on to now i did follow um the works of dr degree i hope i'm saying it right degry and uh, her name was Joy DeGry, and she did a theory of post-traumatic slave syndrome, which she did 12 years of quantitative and qualitative research just on the impact of slavery in a culture. And Sam was just talking about, and we've talked about it before on this show, and that is the start of policing 
and that there was no such thing as policing. And I, I really want people to really critically think this through, that you had a people coming over into a land and then serving papers saying that now this land is my land and you have to abide by the laws that we are instituting in the land that used to be yours. And regardless of how many years go by, it's still a part of, we know the truth. People still know the truth. Some of these stories are still being told from generation to generation. And I believe that we are at a time, especially in today's world, where you're, we are uncovering the hidden things. For instance, the, the lands that were stolen and flooded and made into lakes. Not just one or two. No, we have a plethora of lakes that have been created to get rid of the the idea and the fact that black people live there that they had stores and culture there and it's a lake mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? in, in detroit it's a highway it's a highway <laughs> I yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right I-75. And when you when you know this, yeah, you know, 375. Yeah. 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 But, but you know, see, I cut in like this, but where we were going since you talked about the show and you don't have excerpts from it, let me point out something that got them upset and got you upset when you saw that they were trying to just blow it off, uh, 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 Jay Love. And, and that is that, like, when we talked about Memphis, one of the biggest misnomers out today is the discussion that the system is broken. How do we fix law enforcement? How do, how do we uh, change it to work right? Well, first of all, the system is not broken. Law enforcement in America and what happened in Memphis, it worked perfectly like it was set up to work where these officers adopting a white symbol, uh, supremacist mentality, they did what the system was set up to do, to beat us, yeah. to kill us, to control us. That's the quote that you said, you said it upset them so much. The system is not broken. It does exactly what it was set up to do, beat us or kill us to control us. That's where that maximum law and order really comes from. It's mm -hmm. the control of people. And you use either respect or fear and what's come down through the centuries in America has been fear. Fear of being beaten, fear of being incarcerated, or fear yeah. of being killed. And that's the way law enforcement has been trending when we look at George Floyd, Eric Gardner, and now the uh, young brother in Memphis. But go on, I just wanted to get that in before we went on. Yeah, no, no, that's good because it is the fear. It's the fear that that stops makes people freeze it causes people to second guess who they are what they need to do it's fear that is so entrenched that in order to 
think you have you can get ahead in life you have to be like somebody else and it's that kind of fear that you know when you start off when a child starts off and they're gonna drive not being happy to get the keys to the car but these keys come with some parameters these keys come with the fact that you can't drive in certain areas after a certain hour these keys come with so much that we have to teach to african-american children and it and it's play it has plagued us for gener generation after generation but what has plagued us is the fear mm -hmm. and what also has plagued us is the desire so much to be like somebody else that we are willing to let go of who we really are mm -hmm. well yeah and, and, and the other thing members demonstrated alicia is that we identify friends and enemies on the be on on the basis of behavior not race of skin color. We fall into their traps. They look like us too often. Those officers look like us, but they were not of us. They were closer to David Duke or someone like that than they ever, ever would have been to a Martin Luther King or Goldman Young. And, and, and that's why it's so critical to identify friends and enemies on the basis of behavior. And speaking of that, Jay Love, tell Alicia, uh, her campaign is the only one where Act Blue has never taken my debit card, refuses to take my debit card. <laughs> Good, Alicia. All right. <laughs> we got an address for checks. I know. I know her at least three. I know her at least three donations. Okay, I'm gonna make a note of that. No, it's not. There's nothing I don't think wrong with. There's something about my card works. I mean, I've given the other campaign. But when I try to key into yours, something goes awry every time. Somewhere else, Jay Love and I'll figure it out. Jay Love and, 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 and yeah, and Shay, we'll figure it out. Right. So I have a video, you guys. I know we brought up the post-traumatic slave um, syndrome more than once. And so I'm like, hey, y'all all in the video. So let's go to that video. Post-traumatic slave syndrome is an explanatory theory that really looks at multi-generational trauma. One of the things that's difficult for people is their first response is, oh my God, that happened so long ago. We're talking about people being captured, shipped, sold, beaten, raped, experimented on. And then you have to ask the question, did the trauma continue? Yes. So 300 years of trauma, no help, freed. No help, more trauma. If it's a sustained trauma, then the, the impact of that is also sustained. When we look at multi-generational trauma, we're looking at people who are maybe victims of natural disasters and their families and their children and generations of folks who have experienced war. Uh, and we know that there are residual uh, mental, emotional, traumatic impact. And what I did was I started to look at the African-American experience, starting with slavery, as a real clear, long, enduring trauma. So I started to see that there were clear connections between that survival behavior and contemporary living in African-American experience. I started to see common behaviors that I took for granted as, well, cultural. There's adaptive behaviors, survival behaviors. Well, what are they? Let's just say 2019, you have 
a black mother and a white mother. The sons go to school together. They find themselves at a meeting. The black mother leans over to the white mother and says, I just wanted to mention to you that I noticed that your son is really doing quite well. And the white mother's response is, oh, thank you. She begins to go on and on about, he won the science fair, his uncle's an astronaut. She's just oozing. She realizes the black mother's son is actually excelling her son. And she says, well, wait a minute. Your son's the one that's really coming along. And the black mother responds, oh my God, he's a handful, but oh, he just works my nerves. Now, when I'm working with African-American people, it doesn't matter what the audience is. It doesn't matter what class. If I were to ask, is she very proud while she's saying those denigrating things? And everybody laughs and goes, of course, there's a secret. Because everybody black knows that even though the black mother is going, oh my God, she's really proud. So now let's roll that scene back 300 years. And let's say this black mother is working in the fields and a white slave owner comes through and says, wow, that boy is really coming along. What is she going to say? No, he's not. He's, he's stupid. He's, he's shiftless. He can't work because I don't want you to sell him. So I denigrate them to protect them. That is called appropriate adaptation when living in a hostile environment. The little white boy, say Timmy, you know, he feels really comfortable and happy about what his mom just said about him. And Trey looks at his mom and wonders, why can't you be proud of me? Because he doesn't understand the secret yet. And by the time he learns the secret, he will have already been injured by it. Post-traumatic slave syndrome. PTSD um, is a disorder that occurs as a result of a single trauma. You don't even have to be there to actually get a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. You could just hear about something horrific happening in someone you love. So you have people who have experienced it firsthand, people who have witnessed it in their environment, right? People who are continuing to be oppressed. That exacerbates any possibility of healing. So it's not post-traumatic stress disorder because then it becomes part of uh, what we call your socialization process. So you begin to normalize a way of living and being. Everything from what we eat to what we believe it means to be a friend. You know, all of these things are colored by history. And if you don't understand it, you're going to fold in things that you've just assumed are normal. But post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, exaggerated startle response, outbursts of anger, uh, feeling of foreshortened future. There was a point where there were you know, African-American children in different urban settings that didn't expect to live to be adults because they saw so much death that they started planning their funerals like at 13, 12, as young as 10. When you start looking at the, the simple biology, you start looking at the, the impact of stress on health. And while we look at general stress, you know, you know, finances, you have illnesses, all these different things. How about being black? How does factoring in being black in America impact your stress level and therefore your body's ability to operate its own immune system? Because we know it compromises the immune system. Once you understand it, then you can deal with it because you see it's habitual. You socialize. It becomes part of your being. So one of the ways you begin to address that multi-generational trauma is to work with the people it directly impacts, to hear from them. And when you give the people the information, they, they can use it. I think the first order of business is beginning to have a conversation. And the other is to educate the larger society. You have to stop the assault. So this is not purely a clinical thing. This requires social justice and change. That's where part of the healing is. It's not in a clinical setting or in a pill. It's in fairness and justice and safety 
inequity. We got to work with some of those clinical things, some of those issues of panic and anxiety. And we also have to deal with the fact that you have a system that is set up to oppress you and to continue to injure you. Both those things have to be dealt with. And they cannot singularly by themselves affect a change. They have to be done collectively. Yeah. Go ahead, attorney. Okay. Go ahead, Reverend Tia, and then we're gonna go to Attorney Matt. And then yeah, I, I would I just wanted to say that um, you know, Joy, you know, sometimes you pull up if you pull up as far as artificial intelligence is concerned, you pull up, you know, those who have begun the work in generational trauma, they mention all these other people. Then I had to go back and dig. I mean, because I knew her name. I said, now why isn't <laughs> her name should have been first? Mm -hmm. Her name should have been first. Because <laughs> she came up with the with the post-traumatic slave syndrome. Right. And um and and so you know the thing about it is I believe that it's high time for us to realize the tactics that were done. And the fact that those of the black officers from Memphis um follow the playbook of the master of trying to be like master like that like mike if i could be like mike i want to be like mike you know wanting to be like somebody other than who they are <clears throat> wanting to fit in and see that's a culture they're they're fitting into their culture that incident was not a one-time incident it was not a one-time incident. It <laughs> it happened because it was used to happening. They were used to it, mm -hmm. and so um, they 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 felt that they were justified in doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, and so did some of the slave, the slaves who were over the slaves. The same thing. They were they were acting just like those slaves who were over slaves. Mm -hmm. And their identity was to be more like master. Master, I'm not like them. I'm like you, master. I'm like you. But at, at some point, hopefully we get to the idea and the fact that we are human. Mm -hmm. And our humanity makes it such that you should be treating us humanely. And so they went after the mothers first. So if you are a person who rapes women or men, because they did that too. If you are one who who plunders, kills, destroys, and, and into destruction and beating down women, you are a part of the problem. You have a colonized mind. And you are not a part of the community. Mm -hmm. Okay, Hugo. Your turn, Master. <laughs> okay, see. Okay, all right, y'all. All right. We've had our little laugh. Okay, so now my thing is is this, you know, and my perspective is one of a person in the courtroom. Okay. And for me, 
the impact is so harsh, particularly amongst the few black jurors that we do have, by the way, you know, the few, few black jurors that we do have, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very honest with you. When I'm, when I'm picking a jury uh, back in the day, not so long ago, I would really look forward to and pray that I have at least one or two black people on that jury, okay? Not because I think they're going to vote for acquittal. It's not that. But the perspective of blackness, of otherness, okay? But I've, I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you, over these past three or four years, I've, I've seen, and I, I'm sorry, I've just, I've just got to be honest. I've seen that presumption of blackness with some of these black people on these jurors, it, 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 I, I might as well have an all white jury. And I, I'm not trying to be racist about it. I'm not trying to be racist, but I'm just saying they have gotten so much into a system of shouldn't have been there. If you was minding your own business, wouldn't have happened. You know, if you weren't out there running, ripping, running the streets, this wouldn't have happened. And so I guess part of it, it with me is like the whole thing about black culture and black churches, which which is somewhat conservative, by the way. You know what I'm saying? Black church in, in terms of a homosexuality, uh, a women having babies out of, out of wedlock. Part the time a black girl got pregnant, what did they do? Send her down south to, to Medea's house or something like that to get her away from where, you know, Tia, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Trisha, you know what I'm talking about. J-Love, you know. Alicia, you probably know what I'm talking about, too. So, so, so Sam, I know you know what I'm talking about. So what I'm saying is, is that it really is invidious in our own community. It really is. It, 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 it is. And so, you know, I believe in self-help first, you know, and so we've got to start educating ourselves as to what our role is and our rights are in this nation. And it is not just to conform, you know. Uh, so, you know, Sam Riddle is a, is, is a trained jurist doctor. He knows about the pressures for him, for him to conform in law school, you know, understand the laws and, and, and this is how it works, this is how the system is set up, you know. Well, that's conformity of the majority culture. We didn't write them laws. We, we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't run those, those Supreme Court opinions. Other people did that. So, you know, you know I, we, got, we got to heal ourselves first, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Alicia? Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of good stuff here. Um, you know, I I was thinking a little bit too about the, you know, history and you know, I come from the lens of working in law enforcement and I'm running for sheriff and the reality is the, you know, sheriffs got their their power in this country from mass incarceration and and slave patrols and I'll never forget um I was uh, with some friends, we were at a museum and um, they had the sheriff badge that looked exactly like the badge that I had. And instead of sheriff, it said slave patrol. And it's, you know, that history is still the, it's still in our structures now. And so thinking about that, um, you know, when, you know, we say, oh, we're going to, you know, put this training in or we're going to, um, uh, oh, this just, that was a bad cop. It, you know, it really is the system. The system is operating how it was designed. And when you have a system that is swimming in, in racism and racism and white supremacy and structurally supposed to be that way, um, it, and that's the reality that we're dealing with in our country. When you have leadership in those structures, you have to 
aggressively push back on that because the default is going to be problematic. And specifically with the situation in Memphis, um, you know, where uh, Tyree Nichols was killed, um, you know, those units, those, you know, the Scorpion unit and, you know, you know, I, there's some units people will say it's the jump out boys. There's always some name for it, but it's, it's these units that are really historically rooted in the war on drugs when the federal government gave all this money to local police departments to start these, uh, you know, violent gang units that then operate like a gang and go out in the community and they often will be in undercover clothes and they are not supervised as much as other officers might be supervised and they feel comfortable harassing people without any repercussions. And so when I saw the situation in Memphis, it, you know, it made me think um, deeply about how many of these units actually exist across our country. And then I think it was something I was reading. There was someone that got hurt by the same unit like two days prior, a week prior. So it's like this incident made national news. But what about all the incidents that aren't making national news? Mm -hmm. And so thinking about how this system um, has perpetuated a lot of harm in communities all across the country, um, you know, I think one thing is, is stopping the harm um, in the ways that you can. But then are we ever going to go back and say we were wrong? Are we ever going to go? Is there any repair and reconciliation? And what what does that process look like? Um, you know, I remember here in Washtenaw County, there were times when before marijuana was um, illegal, uh, before it was legal, there was um, units that would. Uh, do search warrants on houses just for find. They might find like a, they might do, find a little roach or a little blunt in someone's trash can. They then use that to get a search warrant and kick down people's doors at four in the morning looking for drugs. And how much trauma was caused by this? Oh, marijuana is legal, so you know we ain't doing it anymore. But I remember backing up the unit when I was a deputy on a call like this and. That trauma still sits with me, but then I always think about the families and there was never a, there was nothing to make amends. And sometimes you can't even, no matter what you do, but um, there's just so much gaslighting. There's, there's no validation of the, of the pain and the trauma. And then there's no actual authentic plan to, to go back and, and try to um, start a repair and reconciliation process. So I think about, you know, trauma broadly, there's like post-trauma, you know, across gener generations of people in general, but then people are now getting traumatized again and again and again and again. Um, and then something else I, I, I thought about too is the adverse childhood experiences. They say if you have a parent incarcerated, that is um, a traumatic event that causes trauma. And, um, you know, I something I really want to do, um, hopefully as sheriff, is bringing back in-person visitation so children can see their loved ones when they're incarcerated if there's no way to make sure that they're not incarcerated. And then also making sure that we're not locking people up when we don't need to lock people up because you're tearing up That's a whole right. home. Um, and on top of that, they've done studies in uh, juvenile detentions across the country and a lot of youth that end up in our legal system, again, have that ACE score where they had at one point in time had a parent incarcerated. So it's just perpetuating, perpetuating itself over and over again. Right. And, and, and Jay Love, one of the things we got to look at is you can't deal with law enforcement units or police departments in isolation. 
you, 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 you see, when you hear the term law and order, the reason folks want law and order is not just for the streets, but it's for the business suite so that people can continue to generate profit. When we had the slave patrols, the slave catchers, chasers, they were there to ensure that profits could be derived from the free slave labor. And right now, when they talk in terms of Detroit or, or, or Memphis or Atlanta, they're talking about the business community feeling safe and secure so that people will feel safe working and doing business and even living in Detroit, Memphis, and Atlanta. I mention Atlanta because everyone talks about how good that CJ looks in her chief's uniform in Memphis. The reality is that that chief of police in Memphis was actually run out of Atlanta, and it worked with a similar unit in Atlanta and was run out because she gave cover to one of the employees' uh, husband who had sex with an underage person, but also there was a unit, another elite unit, these elite units. Those of us that have served in the military know that there are special privileges given to the elite of the elite. I mean, I'm not trying to throw too much shade on the Navy SEAL, special forces, anything like that, but the reality is that everybody knows they roll with a different set of rules. I'm sure the Scorpions in uh, Memphis were weak at in terms of some of the techniques they employed that were condoned, enabled by CJ, that woman at least, the Memphis police uh, force. And people need to really look at her and whether or not she should continue to lead that Memphis police department. But again, you've got to deal with the business community, the fact that this is about profits as much as anything when we talk about law and order. No, the system's not broken. It's functioning as it should. We need to rethink the whole business of to protect and serve. And what does it mean? What does it mean? Right. Uh, we, we want police. We want law and enforcement. We, we, we want protection, but we also want protection from them. We've got to rethink law enforcement all the way and understand that the conditions, the breeding grounds of violence, poverty, illiteracy, the, the unstable black family, uh, the schools that don't work, there's so much that goes into what are the breeding grounds of violence that we address those issues. We'll just be dealing with the symptoms. And can I also add that while we're talking about this, that a lot of these special units was was funded with COVID money. <coughs> Nobody's talking about that either. But a well, lot in, of them. In Alabama, they built a prison on COVID money. The Alabama governor says she's going to build a new prison. I think she, they, they, they did that. They're doing that. Yeah. Go ahead, Trisha. I don't think I need to say nothing tonight. I might say the wrong thing tonight. No. You can't say the wrong thing. Um, I think about um, my brother, Dr. Hugo J.D. Um, <laughs> um, said that, that we are to not conform. And I think about the scripture says, be not conformed to the things of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I just talked to someone the other day um, that comes from the policing field and they talked about, but we've got, we've got lead now. We've got, 
all of these transformative things. We've got all these reforms, you know. And I thought, great, you know. And I just asked him real simple. I said, you remember the story of the three little pigs? Remember the story of the three little pigs? They built their houses on foundations that were not built to last or made to stand. So you're trying to reform something that can only be transformed. It could never be, we, there's no way to reform this away. Reform says, oh, let's just make changes to what is existing. No, and what we're saying is that you need to tear it down. You need to burn it down. You That's need, right. That's you need right. to, to, to totally dismantle that system. I think Reverend Tia said it earlier. How do you get to come into a country and tell folks that lived here already and folks who you brought here unwillingly what to do when you're not even from here? You just made up laws that every, and then we say, I, I, I had to laugh when people say, the vision of our forefathers, and we've got to get back to the Constitution. You mean the Constitution that said that we were three-fifths less than a person and that it did not apply Speak to us? That. That Constitution that. right there. So when I hear people talking about the Constitution, I'm saying that needs to be burnt to the ground as well and dismantled just like everything else. We need systems in place that are going to protect people for real. But these systems that are in place now are meant to harm us. You look at the disparities are across the board. Housing, education, <clears throat> employment, healthcare system, the criminal justice system. All of these things, all of these systems that were put in place to keep a certain group of folks <laughs> Look at that beautiful melanin. The, 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 the certain group of folks at the bottom. And what's so sad is that folks that look like us will participate in keeping us at the bottom. And, and so I say to our Caucasian siblings all the time, we see you. This is the same thing. So I think tonight helped me to make my decision. I really believe I need to do this research and to get my doctorate um, and, and to really bring forward that post-traumatic slavery syndrome because it is real. And until we go to the core of what's happening in our communities, we'll never heal it. We'll only have surface stuff, cookie cutter approaches that are not even shaped to what our true needs are as a people. Mm -hmm. Unless right. we get back That's to the right. basics. I'm talking about the basic is love. <clears throat> when you love for real, you will move differently. But mm -hmm. don't think that love is not also telling somebody the truth. Because we always want to celebrate Jesus as the lamb, but Jesus was a lion too. Well. <laughs> yes. Go ahead, Reverend uh, <laughs> Yes, talk about it. Yes, because, and I need people to understand that. When Jesus went into the temple tearing up stuff, okay? Look, I wasn't even there, but I'm almost for sure he cursed. <laughs> I wasn't even there. <laughs> but I'm for sure. For sure. He was not running around with Judas as 
the treasurer with $2.50. The reason why they went after him was not because he was healing on a Sabbath. It was because he economically made change. Mm. Because all of a sudden, the community started to invest in themselves. And so what did they talk about? The early church, if you said people studied it, the early, early church before it, it changed over, before the crusaders, because they were not called Christians, they were called people of the way. Just to give y'all some knowledge. Just a little bit of knowledge. And, and so what they did was they followed a way of being. They followed a way of being. And the monies went to the orphans and the widows. And so what he was saying was that all of this that you're doing here, and that's why it's important. I'm looking at leaders who are spiritual leaders, but are you taking a stand for humanity? Are you standing for humanity? And this is because right now is the time. Mm -hmm. It's the time. Your time is now. The time is now. Love, like Trisha was saying, it happens now. It needs to happen now. But we need to love ourselves first. Mm -hmm. And know the That's truth. Right. Know the right. truth so that the truth can make you free enough so you can make a different kind of decision. Exactly. And if you are, like Trisha just said, if you are not following the true principles of Christ, and Christ was not Jesus's last name, it was the anointing that was inside of him that was supposed to be inside of everybody. But if you aren't following the way, you're not following Christ. Check yourself. Alicia, I know you have to leave, so I'm going to let you go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, I could sit here for three hours. Time goes by so quick. <laughs> um, no, I, I just, you know, I, I really appreciate um, hearing from everybody. And, uh, you know, I, I just really think when I see a lot of these incidents nationally, um, and then, you know, I think the hard pill to swallow is stuff happens locally. Mm -hmm. And how important it is um, to start holding administrators accountable in these systems because what I call it feigned helplessness, police chiefs and sheriffs across the country will act like they can't do anything. But then we then see situations where they do do something in, in certain times. And so um, I think the accountability piece really focusing in on administrations around the policies, around hoarding of resources, around the lack of transparency, the lack of honesty. Um, you know, I think that it's really, really important that we have more authentic conversations. Um, and, you know, from a, you know, from a place, not, not only just a place of anger, but a place of love and healing and figuring out when we can have a community that um is is healing focused and 
um, has resources and is abundant, it makes everybody safer. And so that really should be the goal. And when we have a community that, um, you know, is, is anti-racist, is not oppressive, everyone will thrive and do better. Um, you know, I think a lot about, you know, in Washtenaw County, um, black children are eight times more likely to be arrested. And when I was a road patrol deputy, I don't know how many times um, children in the community that I loved and cared about were involved in gun violence, getting shot at or shooting at others and looking at their histories and seeing a lot of trauma um, and realizing that there was all these points where they could have got a lot of grace that they didn't get that grace and how much intellectual capital we're all losing because some of the children are no longer with us today. Some of the children are now in prison and this happens all the time. And that means that we're all at a loss for what that person could have given back to the community and the world as a whole. So I think, I think a lot of the work um, is so important and thank you so much, Jay Love and Reverend Tia and Trisha and attorney Mac and, and Sam, Sam, I'm going to uh, follow up with you on the, on the act blue link, by the way. Oh, okay. Um, but I, I, re I really deeply appreciate you guys. Huh? All right. All right. I will. So thank you. Thank you all so much. I'm sorry. I got to go. Okay. Thank you. Attorney Matt. Oh, go ahead, Sam. No, go on, Sam. For the record, earlier I spoke, I, was, I had left East Lansing. I was around Fowlerville. Uh, of course, I went by 23, and now I'm in the city of Detroit on the Lodge. Oh, I'm okay. In the, in the city, yeah, approaching seven mile on the Lodge. So you guys have really helped me safely get down the road. I appreciate <laughs> all of you. And it's the you know, Attorney Mac, this is the first time I've done this in Iraq. Now, I do have up here... When I hit these uh, lights like that, I, you know, it, it helps a little bit. I, I don't need one of them now, but uh, I forgot that it gets dark so early. But uh, I appreciate the opportunity to join you guys in the conversation. And you're right. It is more than a one-show conversation because the self-hate, the way it manifested itself in Memphis, it does that in every city in America we are where we serve in law enforcement. And it's more than a notion cleaning it up. Shashay was on point. Go ahead, Tony Matt. You know, I watched the uh, State of the Union the other day. Mm -hmm. And they had the Republican response mm -hmm. uh, with a woman named Sarah Huckabee Sanders. <laughs> and her, her, her daddy, Sam Huckabee, AKA pork chop man was was governor. I know I'm wrong. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Have said that. Uh, <laughs> no, no, excuse me. I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm I know. Wrong. Who, wrong. I know who her daddy was. He plays the yeah. guitar too. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. So, so, so what? What? What I'm saying is, is that she was on there, and some of the things that she was saying. Now she's a new elected governor in Arkansas. Okay. Bill Clinton was governor of Arkansas too, by the way, at one point. Okay, so the thing what she spoke of, I realized in the in the in the visage of one woman, that speech which came out of her mouth was what I say is about forty three percent of the people in this country. Okay, 
43% of the people in this country. And another 15% can go either way, okay? So what I'm saying is, is that when we've got that rampant nativism, because that's what she was talking about, she might have a nice little smile and, you know, I'm a cancer survivor and all that. And, uh, you know, well, I'm, 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 I'm grateful. Thank God she is. But I guess when I hear that nativism talk, I wonder how many people that didn't have the money that her daddy had while her symptom didn't make it out of the hospital. I'm just curious. I'm just curious, you know. And when she said, well, I'm a mother of three. See, that's that nativism talking. And she said, you know, I signed a law. Reverend Tia, it might not have been Missouri that you're talking about. It damn sure happened in Arkansas. She signed a law with the Republican legislature. Ain't no such thing as critical race theory. Ain't no such thing as talking and preaching in schools. Uh, because what she said was uh, telling our kids that, uh, uh, you know, some were abusers of other people. We're not going for none of that. So th that's nativism because th the way you stop progress is you keep the status quo. That's how you stop progress. You keep the status quo and you stop the education. And, and I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. Reverend Tia, I, you are so right when you said it's just history. It's history. It, we, we really shouldn't need black history. We really shouldn't. We should just need history the way it is the, the way it actually was but what she is doing and i run into this every day uh with some of my white colleagues y'all stop all that talk it's just a bunch of subterfuge if you don't make it in this in this country you ain't worked hard enough you haven't sacrificed enough you're too lazy you don't want to get a job you don't know how to keep your legs closed etc 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 and and it's hard on me and you know I get strength from a brother like Sam Riddle because he's got me going out exercising, <laughs> you know. So, 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 um, that's what we're dealing with, folks. That rampant nativism that simply does not want to accept the truth about the history of this country and 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 what we need to do. And I don't know how we convert them, y'all. So I'm, I'm I'm gonna be quiet, y'all. Y'all tell me because I don't know how to do it. You know, wait. Well, Attorney Mac, I thought you were gonna say y'all pray my strength in the Lord. <laughs> Cause we will, we, we will. <laughs> so we, we will. Need to pray we something. Will. But yeah. see, that's part of the problem too. Cause yeah. all we doing is just a prayer. That's wishing it. And a praying and a wishing and a praying and a hoping and a praying. If you don't get up off of them knees, you are gonna have carpet burn. Cause you're just on them all the time. And it, it, and I need you to flip over to the scripture that says, "Faith without works is dead." You got to do something. You got yeah. to do something with those prayers. And I think for me, when I look at you know the civil rights movement, pastors were the forefront. The deacons they were the forefront. Yeah. Where they at? Yeah. Getting the tax right. break now, and, and, and the tax break. And you know what's so deep is that the state says separation of the church and state. Okay, separation of the church and state. But I'll be doggone when COVID came out. Who they go to? They ran right to them churches and was giving them money and doing shots and testing and, 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 and COVID vaccines, all at the church. So now the church can do the state's work, but the church can't challenge the inequities. The church can't challenge the harm that has been done by these carceral systems, by these government systems. Can't challenge that. So because right. you have a bunch yeah. of folks, a few folks, a bunch of folks, I don't know, a system of folks, um, 
that are, that value the dollar mm -hmm. over people. Yeah. We see yeah. the same decisions being made over and over again, which is men and women of the, the cloth of the church or the body of the Christ or however you want to put it are not actively in the social justice movement. As a matter of fact, they're mute. They're very, very mute. I love my pastor. Let me give one of my pastors because I call both my brothers my pastors. I don't know. Uh, my baby brother out in, um, he ain't no baby though. He all man. Don't get it wrong. Uh, uh, Reverend Terrence Johnson over at Second Baptist of Monroe. And then my brother, Pastor John E. Duckworth um, from Gethsemane Missionary Baptist Church in Westland. They are, I would like to call them social justice pastors because from their pulpit, from their pulpit, they talk about and they explain to the people. They talk about reparations. As a matter of fact, I believe I wore my reparations uh, uh, hoodie to church and was leading praise and worship, right? You know, I mean, we have to be able to talk about it and educate ourselves in every area. And we have to talk about it ourselves. We're looking for other people to educate us about us. And then we got this whole thing we buying into with the critical race theory. You're right. Get rid of critical race theory. Let's talk about real American history. Yeah. That's all yeah. I want. I don't want to talk about critical race theory. You're right. What right. it within itself reduces the totality and the, the, the travesty of what was done to our people. But see, here's the thing that they don't want us to know. They don't want us to know who we are pre-slavery. Mm-hmm. Because if we learn who we are pre-slavery, it arms us to grow beyond the walls of oppression that they have set around us. Mm -hmm. So they don't want us to learn that. And so right. we've got to learn that so that we can understand, yes, is talking about slavery important? Yes, because the impact as Dr. Uh, I forgot her name, um, as the, the video that we just seen, mm -hmm. the impact is there. So it's real. And we've got to talk mm -hmm. about it because if we got, if we ever going to know where we need to go, we got to clearly understand where we've been, mm -hmm. but it can't be a small snapshot mm -hmm. of what white America wants to teach us. We got to eat the whole yeah. roll. We got to go from the beginning to where we are now and then craft the mm -hmm. solutions based on the truth. Right. And think about it. Why is it so important? to keep a people down. What is it? Y'all some powerful people. You don't know your own power. Mm -hmm. But when you start to know who you are and you know, recognize your power and you recognize the power within you and, and realize that you do not have to live in what I know our church has been talking about it, <laughs> Dr. Reverend Shahira, the matrix, coming mm -hmm. out of the matrix, coming out of what has been told to you, mm -hmm. using your critical thought process for yourself too, and forgiving, forgiving ancestors. That's probably going to be another show. <laughs> right, because they have to forgive them, you know? They only did the best that they could, you know. Exactly. And 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 then we have to understand how this general 
generational trauma worse. It's chemical. It's not only visual. It's brought in from your great, 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 great grandma to your Mm -hmm. great grandma, you know, and it it keeps passing on. And if it is not um, dealt with, if it's not healed from, it just continues. So it's generational and generation of people reacting from the chemicals that was embedded in front of your grandma's trauma, your great grandma's trauma, her mama's trauma, and all the way back because it was never resolved. Nothing was never. And so that's why we were talking about the acknowledgement of that can help change these systems just by acknowledging the trauma that you have caused and, and working on steps to repair it. Mm-hmm. And if we mm-hmm. don't ever repair, how how can we fix the trauma that is in our DNA? <laughs> and in there too, that I may want to add. Yes. Because it swings both ways. Exactly. The pendulum is swinging both ways. Whatever trauma, whatever keeps a people to decide that somebody else has to be under them, whatever fear is at the initial start of that idea of I need to be better than somebody else. Right, right, right. That is fear-based. I don't have enough. That is fear-based. All of these fear-based ideas, that's a generational trauma too. Exactly. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. All right. I got the video on that, but go ahead, Tony Matt. See, and the thing of it is that, that, that is so right. See, because what remember now i posed a question about the nativists i told you 43 percent. some of you said oh no it's not that much yes it is yes it is yes it is and so my my question and you know my own try to answer my own question is in terms of them what we have got to do is to be able to make them understand that their life force is given by god it is not created in and of themselves okay mm-hmm. all of us only have a certain amount of breath to take in this life okay we don't control that okay so what they fail to realize is in that energy expended in in hating me in passing laws to stop me from voting to trying to say i cannot get an education to try to say affirmative action is 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 reverse racism all those things what the, our Caucasian brothers and sisters don't understand is they're taking away from their own life force to do that you see, mm-hmm. that's what that's what they, they don't understand. There's a quality of love and generational wealth and prosperity and, and goodness and, and making your life better, your water cleaner, your air cleaner, your food more purified. They are taking that from themselves. And mm-hmm. one of the great examples I can think of when they want to talk about, you know, you know, skip Obamacare, you know, you know, you know, and, and uh, skip all that, you know, well, you're the ones benefiting from that. You see what I'm saying? You're, you're the ones benefiting from that. But yet th- they're so focused on trying to hate us. They don't know that they are sacrificing themselves to do it. And mm-hmm. so my, my prayer and, and my belief is, is that it will get to a tipping point where it becomes so personal with them, where they're losing benefits. And now, wait a minute, we need to take a look at this system that we've been feeding into because it, it isn't it isn't just Trump. 
Trump is just a, a, a symptom, if you will, a, a, a symptom, all right, of a greater sickness. So my thing is, you know, Dr. King was was right. That, that is a morally bankrupt philosophy, a morally, spiritually bankrupt philosophy. And I'm telling you, it's, it's like a cancer, and I see it slowly eating at them. I do. I do. Mm -hmm. so, you know, can we hold out long enough? You know, can we keep fighting? <laughs> long enough. I think we can because we ain't got no choice. Right. So when we talk about qualified, eliminating qualified immunity, and then on the other end, we hear, oh, no, they need that. Right. And so all these agencies that have qualified immunity, you know, not only the police, but there's other CPS, a, a lot of agencies that schools have them. Right. And so now you look at what happened at Oxford. And so the parents, the kids have been traumatized, all of those things that happen. And guess what? Qualified immunity is holding, is in the way for them. You know what I'm saying? So, so now you have a problem with qualified immunity because that's going to keep these lawsuits down. It's going to stop all these, you know, reactions. Nobody's going to be held accountable or very little people. The school district probably won't be held That's accountable right. as much because they have immunity. And so these things That's that we're talking about affects us all. But if we look at each other as I'm better than you or that's not about me, that's about them. It's going to affect you in the long run. It's going to hit you in another way, but it's the same exact thing. And so like that's you said, true. Attorney Matt, until we can realize that what we're talking about or what we're focusing on or what it affects you as well as us and that we can all live better and we can all have be prosperous. If we all work together, if we all see these things, it's not us against them, but That's us right. as a whole, That's right. we can heal. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, Rabatia. You know, I was just going to say, because healing, that's, that's the main thing. Right. And we have to heal within within first. We need to heal within first. We need to heal within our own community first. Mm -hmm. um, when you have the, the, the picture of the community killing the community, then you know it's a problem. That's a problem. And, and so we, we have to heal within our community and accept what we... Um, what we have created. How did we get here? How did we get here? We have to ask ourselves, how did we get here? And I was telling Jay not long ago, I sat and I asked myself, how did we get here? Where this gangster mentality mm -hmm. is looked upon as a good thing. Mm -hmm. How did we get here? Mm -hmm. How did we take on the oppressor's demeanor. How did we get here? How do? And then I looked back, and I'll never forget um, Superfly. Now I was not supposed to be going to the movies to see Superfly. <laughs> I realized now that that was not a very good show to see. However, I did go, and I looked. Um, I looked at a picture of my dad not too long ago. You know, he had the nice brim hat and the fur coat on and the shoes. And 
looking just like Superfly. <laughs> just like Superfly. And, and then I said, Jay, you know what? We started to look upon these characters as, you know, and idolize them. Mm-hmm. We made idols out of what they put before us. That's true. You know, and then I looked back at the clip of Superfly and why was everybody snorting cocaine? I said, oh, Lord, I was in here watching this. <laughs> Beating up women. Womanizing throughout the whole movie. How did we get here? We will have to be accountable for what we did. Mm-hmm. To us, what did we put before our eyes? Mm-hmm. Then I looked around, you know, and I got brothers, you know, one of my brothers who idolized um, not just Al Capone, but Scarface. That was real for a lot of young men. And then they wanted to be like Scarface, who was insane. He was insane. He was full of coke. <laughs> and and let's not forget living just enough for the city. <laughs> let's not forget New Jack City, y'all. That's let's, right. Let's not forget that, you know, and the impact that had on us, you know. Yes. Uh, you know. Uh, but let's not forget who brought it in here. And the impact that had. Who, yeah. we, we wasn't flying jets over. We have jets to fly over to Columbia and, and everywhere else to bring it in here that's to true. make money for the government. But that's a whole exactly. nother conversation. <laughs> exactly. But all of these things that and we talk about how bad it is now, it's not any bad or worse than it was before. We just have video now. All these things, you know, a lot of these things that's happening right now was happening mm-hmm. before. But we have video, we have media who since, uh, you know, just like, let's go back to the Tyree Nichols. It was yeah. broadcasting that video like it was like um, the main event or something that was, you know, coming on, breaking news. You know, they kept talking about it all day. It's going to come on today. It's going to come on today. And so they normalized, they took trying to normalize it to take the sting away for what we were mm-hmm. really doing. Right. Right. And the fact that we got to ask ourselves, are we <laughs> hungering, thirsting for righteousness or are we hungering and thirsting for death and destruction? And it, these are individual questions that, that you can ask yourself. What do you spend your time looking at? Mm-hmm. And, and for, for a group of police to eagerly go and kill somebody and think that they have power over, that's a false sense of power. They were punks. And I'm always, I'm, I always look at the aggressive police. You're aggressive because you got a badge and you got a gun, but what are you without it? Right. But when you have a, a chief that went to Israel to train, train and 
you know, all these other things that they did, they they were like, um, they came out like they were stormtroopers and that's how they was serving the community. Exactly, serving the community. They were not serving, and that's another thing. To me, if they aren't serving, they need to be held accountable and they need to be fired. Mm-hmm. And, and the leaders who know that this is going on, they need to be fired. We need to do a whole overhaul across the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Trisha said, slave catchers don't serve. That's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, we're going to wrap this up because I know Attorney Matt has to leave and Trisha has to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about, we're going to continue this conversation next week with our with our our guest that's going to be on next week uh linda marie miller and she's a speaker and a trainer and a coach and she's going to come in and give us a, a different another perspective of what we're talking about and i want to play a clip for her so you guys can familiarize yourself with who we're talking about One of the things I always find interesting is people's lack of understanding of what the definition of racism is. Racism is having a preconceived opinion of a person or group of people that belong to a racial or ethnic group, and that opinion is not based on reason or personal experience. Many people want to add that having power is a part of the definition, but that's not actually true. If you have been socialized as white in the United States, it is highly likely that you have been socialized with racist ideology. And it's not your fault. You didn't ask for it. It's just the way it is. It's in the cartoons you've watched. It's in the movies you've seen at the theater. It's in the beauty magazines. It's on the six o'clock news. Unless you were raised on a deserted island, it's highly unlikely that you would have been able to avoid this socialization. Now, that's not something I feel guilty about. If you want to consider yourself an ally, there are a couple of things you might want to consider doing. First, study the history of this country, the real history of this country. I'm not talking about black history, I'm talking about the white history of this country. It has been my experience that over 95% of the white people in this country don't have a clue about the history of this country. It's also been my experience that when people learn the real history of this country, two things happen. First, they get really angry that it wasn't taught to them in school. And secondly, they feel called into action to inform others of the history of this country and to set about making things right, creating equity. It is my belief that until white people understand the history of this country and then start speaking informatively about it, racism will continue uninterrupted.
So that's our guest for next week. Tony, who go Matt, what would you like to leave us with? Look, my mother told me, son, it's never over till you win. Okay. You know, uh, it's never over till we win. Okay. And the thing of it is, you know, my spirits are are lifted every time I talk to y'all, Reverend Tia, Trisha, UJ Love, the other people that are here. Because like I say, for me, I'm at ground zero in my world, okay, in my world. That courtroom to me is ground zero, you know. And I see that generational bias even amongst Black people themselves. Like I said, it's gotten to a point with me where I'm looking, well, put it this way. I'd rather have an all, well, I'd rather have an all majority culture jury that will at least try to adhere with the law as opposed to having some people of color on there who want to prove to other people I'm just like y'all. You know what I'm saying? See, that's the that's the problem right there. That need to conform, you know. I'm I'm like y'all. It's like it's like a privilege for y'all letting me be on this jury. I'm not gonna let you down. So for me, I do ask Reverend T and y'all pray for my strength in the Lord. I pray for yours. Um because I don't want y'all to be coming to my disbarment party where, you know, <laughs> Mac, he, he went on up and slapped that judge, you know, and, and slapped two or three of them jurors before the, 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 the sheriffs beat him down. I don't want y'all to watch y'all. <laughs> I, I don't want y'all to do that and have no GoFundMe. We got to try to bail attorney Mac out, you know. <laughs> so you know, I love you, J-Love, and it's an ongoing struggle. And J-Love, I, I, I read the things you put on Facebook. You know, God bless you. I love you, my sister. You you keep on. And Reverend Tia, you keep on. Trisha, you know I love you. You know I love you. And so you, you keep on keep on what you're doing. And, you know, we're we going to get there together, y'all. We're going to get there together. Right. Thank you, Attorney Matt. Go ahead, Trisha. It's not much to say, but to be continued. Yeah. To be continued. Oh, yeah. Also, Trisha, go ahead. Yeah, so, you know, when it comes to wrongful convictions and what those who are inside suffering and the families and the advocates and everyone, what, what they go through because of these injustices, it gets very hard and it gets hard to battle alone and so we are coming together as a group just to support one another and, and, and let each other know that we're not by ourselves and that we're standing together as a unit in support. And so our wrongful conviction support group is taking place once a month. This month is going to be on February the 18th, starting at 10 a.m. Uh, thereafter, again, we meet every third Saturday and we do this via Zoom as of right now. So you can check out our Facebook page um for more details or our link there if you do the qr code um you can actually get registered for the support group and we'll send emails out so that you can get the link to be able to join us Amen. and then on 
that same day. Turn to your neighbor and say that same day. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we are coming together, the Wrongful Conviction Task Force, where we are promoting policies to impact change. And on last month, we had Commissioner Robbie, who used to be State Rep Robbie, who wrote a bill within regard to the removal of immunity from governmental officials. And so we are using that as a starting point in building from there. But I'll tell you what, there is no way that we're going to ever see change unless we, and I say we, unless we put laws in place that will protect us and be what we need. So again, we're using this as a starting point, but we're coming together as a collective. This is not a survivor speak thing. This is a, anybody who wants justice, anybody who wants, this is an all hands on deck moment into a movement. So please join us at 1 p.m. Um, as we again battle these walls of injustice to tear them down. Yes. And Revatia. I'm so excited. Yes, because <laughs> we are going to back that. And I'm going to put it on my page. We're going to put it out there. We have got to get behind changes in policy okay. and definitely for the support group. Oh, my goodness. What a person goes through, the family goes through. I know Jay knows what I'm talking about. When somebody is wrongly convicted, it is very traumatic. That's mm -hmm. trauma all over again. And it's it's trauma. It's traumatic. So I just think that, um, oh my goodness, I'm just excited about everything that's upcoming. But I want us to know that the power is still with us. And we are coming together, I believe that the change that is happening right now is going to help us get in tune with who we are, take our power back, take our communities back, take our children back, take all of our loved ones back and begin to set a standard, a way of being that is based on love. Mm -hmm. It's based on love. Yes, thank Rev. you so much, Jay. I'm excited. I'm excited too. Thank you guys so much. Thank you all for watching. Everybody on Twitter, YouTube, thank you. Um, and those who are listening later, we'll be back next week with part two with uh, Linda, Linda Marie Miller and take this conversation even deeper because we're here yes. to we're here for change. And and the only way we can change is we do the work. So yes. And we ain't going away. Can't stop, won't stop. You better know it. <laughs> exactly. So with that being said, see you guys next week. All right. All right. Love you guys. Love you guys.